Hi, everyone. Welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, a Cinelinks podcast, a podcast where we invite marginalized authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. I'm your host, Steve Dunk, and thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter, of course, at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. And so, without further ado, let's get the show on the road and meet today's guest. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. As is always the case, we will continue to encourage supporting authors the stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. A reminder, February is Black History Month, a time when we remember important people and events in the history of the African diaspora. And while we have little to no excuse to not be doing things to support Black communities or any marginalized communities all year long, this is a convenient time to support, share, and boost causes and businesses in the Black community online and elsewhere. I will certainly post some links after the show where you can do just that. Okay, Reclaim the Stars is a collection of 17 best-selling and acclaimed YA authors that take the Latin American diaspora to places fantastical and out of this world. From princesses warring in space to the all-too-near devastation of climate change to haunting ghost stories in Argentina and mermaids off the coast of the Caribbean, this is science fiction and fantasy that breaks borders and realms and proves that stories are truly universal. That's a fuck. Now that's a blurb. <laughs> like if that, <laughs> if that, like I read a lot of bad blurbs. If that doesn't make you want to read this book, then I don't know what else. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'm super happy. Joining me today to discuss this book are two of those 17 authors. Romina Garber is a New York Times and international bestselling author whose books include Lobazona and the Zodiac series. Born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and raised in Miami, Florida, Romina landed her first writing gig as a teen. College She Wrote, a weekly Sunday column for the Miami Herald that was later picked up for national syndication. She hasn't stopped writing since. She's a graduate of Harvard College and a Virgo to the core. Please welcome to the show, Romina Garber. Hi, Romina. Hi. Thank you so, <laughs> so much nice for coming. Yo, I'm so happy you're here. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, yeah, this is that's that's quite a blurb, isn't it? That's uh, <laughs> I mean, like, are you are you sitting there hearing that? And you're like, geez, I want to read that book. Um, I know it sounds fantastic. Yes, it does. It does and we're going to talk about why. Um, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. It's very nice to meet you. We're not alone. Uh, we're also joined by Claire Belle Ortega. Ortega? Sorry, did I say that right? Ortega. Ortega, yeah. yeah. <laughs> New York Times bestselling and award-winning author Claire Bell A. Ortega is a former reporter who writes middle grade and young adult fantasy inspired by her Dominican heritage. When she's not busy turning her obsession with 80s pop culture, magic, and video games into books, oh, we... We probably have so much in common there. I bet. I wonder oh. how. I wonder how close they are the same age. I'm not going to ask. She's co-hosting. <laughs> she's co-hosting her podcast, uh, Bad Author Book Club, which is an excellent podcast. Why better? Way better than this one. And helping authors navigate publishing with their consulting business, uh, Gift Girl. I love the two R's. Little Riot Girl shout out. Claire Bell is a Marvel contributor and has been featured on BuzzFeed, Bustle, Good Morning America, and Deadline. Her debut new grade book, Ghost Squad, is out now from Scholastic and is being made into a feature film, which I can't fucking wait for. And her forthcoming yeah. books include Witchlings, which <sighs> and the graphic novel frizzy please welcome the show clarabelle hi clarabelle hi how's it going really well really well how are you doing i'm good i'm excited to be here i've never done like a tag team interview with another author so i'm really excited to be in yes. conversation with Ravina. Um, <laughs> yeah this is well when the opportunity came up i definitely jumped that i've done a few of them um 
And I'm actually trying in the middle of actually trying to do uh, Weenie Diverse Books wants me to put together a, a book banning roundtable. And I'm trying. Oh, you know, yeah. Gosh. Trying to get so awful. Trying to get three to four authors together this time of year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's going to be hard, but uh, we'll figure something out. Uh, well, I will. And I do actually, because it's sort of, I mean, it's, 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 even though it's been around forever, it is, it has been trending the last couple of days. So we'll talk about book banning here in a second because it is important. And I don't, well, I, people need to understand how important it is to yeah. me it's a, it's a four alarm fire here like this is oh, a, uh-huh. it's an emergency That's, but absolutely. Um, um it's really great to have both of you on the show obviously um i'm fans of both of yours and it worked out because both of your stories actually involve uh Bruhas, so that works out really well doesn't it oh yeah uh, That's right. <laughs> um so question for both i think uh just sort of talk about you know how you heard about uh this book in, in particular, and, and I just assume when Zoraida Cordeva calls, you answer. <laughs> Is that the idea? Oh, absolutely. Or, let's start with Romina. Yeah. Yes. How how I felt when Zoraida reached yeah, out. Yeah, or just like, you know, I mean, just, I mean, I, the answer is yes, you pick up the call <laughs> when yeah, Zoraida well, Cordeva I mean, calls. Anytime and, uh, Zoraida, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Zoraida calls, you definitely answer. Um, I'm really, I was very lucky in that I've gotten to participate with her in a couple of things. One was the Miami Book Fair. Mm-hmm. We got to have a really cool chat um, about all about YA. And another one was actually in Spain. It was both of our first, um, bookish related trip in a long time and all of this. And it was over the summer Festival Celsius, um, which was in Aviles in Northern Spain. And so we got getting to do that in person with her, you know, because as authors, it's funny, we might all be authors in the same genre, but we don't get to meet in person very much. Like Gladivet and I haven't, you know, this is like Mm -hmm. our first little, uh, you know, um, um, interaction like this. Um, so, so it is really cool when you get to meet in person. So of course, hearing from her and, and getting to meet Zoraida and, you know, I'm such a huge fan of her, of her writing as, as a reader myself, uh, was really, really special. And I was very excited. It, it didn't even take me more than a minute to say, yes, I'm in. I think it's very necessary, this, this anthology, you know, I know we're going to talk about this more, but representation, 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 you know, um, and being able to see this to kind of break out of that idea of the Latinx monolith, and actually show how diverse we are within the Latinx, you know, heading is is really crucial. And it's a very important next step in this whole conversation that we're having. So um, that was for me, one of my favorite parts of this and why I was so eager more than just contributing my story, but just eager to read what the other stories were, because there is so much beauty and diversity and variety to the Latinx culture and kind of seeing all the different lenses was really like the best part, you know, from the food to the myths we have to the way we talk, you know, to the infusion of Spanish. It it was really, really fantastic. Did you hear from Zoraida directly or was it through your people? No, I I heard from her directly. um, And yeah, I was very excited. Very cool. Yeah, to your point, it turns out representation does fucking matter. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and I know, you know, I've seen you both on panels and in, in read interviews before in the past, and I know what this means to your communities and to, to you both specifically, you know, growing up and not being able to see yourself represented. You know, I'm white. Yes. I have fucking privilege coming out of my butt, right? Like, I just can't even, you know, it's never had that problem, obviously. So 
so great now, you know, being able to be part of this community experience in the sense that, you know, I'm so happy for my friends and, and, and fellow readers and authors who finally get to experience it. It just like, honestly, it just, I'll start crying right now. It makes me so freaking happy. Um, Clarabelle, same question. Yeah. Talk to me about how, how you sort of, Zoraida, it sounds like maybe she reached out to everyone then directly and talk about sort of how you found out about the book and yeah. And then just maybe talk about sort of why it's so important. Uh, yeah. Uh, Zoraida did reach out to me directly. Um, Zoraida is sort of one of the first people who I ever met in publishing, um, sort of took me under her wing when I first started out. Um, so we've been pals for a while and, um, obviously, you know, like for me, you know, when I heard the idea, I was like, absolutely. Um, I do feel like there is still a huge lack of Latine representation in publishing, a yeah. huge, huge lack. There's such a hunger for our stories. Um, but I think there's a lot of confusion as to like the fact that that exists and how to reach our readers and like how to market to them. It, there's just like a lot left to be desired still um, in terms of connecting us with like the potential readership that we have. And um, I think whenever we have like a hit movie, like Encanto, um, it is very uh, <laughs> evident that the audience is there, that people are so super w willing and like ready to absorb our stories um, because they're good stories. And that's what matters at the end of the day. Um, I I've been sort of in the trenches of trying to fight for uh, more, um, equity in publishing for many years now and it's really nice to see an anthology like this come together especially with like two new voices that just so happen to be Afro-Latinx authors I think that's mm -hmm. so important and I feel like that's one of the things that makes me the happiest about participating in it because um we really need to expand our idea of what representation means to within our communities, because like any other community, we have our, our problems and still prejudices within like our own families and um, something like that, I think is so beautiful. And for them to be like two young black um, Latin authors who are so young and just like starting their career and seeing how amazing their stories are um, really <clears throat> brought me a lot of joy. And I just feel like we need, more and more and more of this kind of thing, like just for a long time um, in order to really reach sort of the levels that we need to be at. Yeah, I think, and I think, you know, to both of your points, because yeah, there's nothing monolithic about anybody, right? I mean, the entire human race is, is, is a spectrum. And like, if I could get, a, get rid of one word, it would be binary, right? Because we're all bimodal to some degree. We're all the sum of many parts, aren't we? Uh, uh, yeah. and, and, and within your own communities, for sure. I mean, like there's still, there's like still, you know, people argue about Latine, Latinx, you know, Latino, uh, Latino. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like it's, it's hard to, to fucking, you know, to, to focus and get away from that stuff when you've got a minority of people shouting about things like about language, which is always evolving, always changing and should always evolve and should always change. And especially if it means, if it means sort of altering or, or slightly adjusting, you know, the way we, we look at language, if, and if that means make, making the lives of, uh, of countless people at this point, just a little bit better, then we should do it. Right. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why we yeah. don't, it's, it's crazy to me, but talk about that, about how this idea of your communities, there is a bit of infighting occasionally, and that maybe has kept 
um, we lose the mark, don't we? A lot of times, especially when you're trying to break through these these publishing barriers and break down these walls. Either one yeah, of you, I, that one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, I think to your point about words and you know people getting very stuck on stuff, and you know, it's sort of like, hey. That's what language is for. Why do you think language was invented? To communicate. And so we're constantly going to have new things to communicate. So language must evolve. And that is like the biggest theme of the Lovisona, my Lovisona books is, is labels, you know? And it's this notion of we've lost the thread of language. We've yeah. forgotten what words are here for. We've gone from us defining words to words defining us. And it's so problematic because we're modifying ourselves to fit labels and, and words that we think are like the cool new one now, or no, this is the more PC one or this. Is, and it's like, that's not how it works. You find the word that makes you feel good and that's your word and that's fine. You know, it's just, it's getting to, it really like one of the biggest things that bothers me the most is classifications is labeling is stuff like that, because it's what you said. It's a spectrum. We are all individuals. And the biggest, biggest part for me of this whole uh, journey, um, because, you know, my story in this in this anthology is from the Lobisona series. Mm -hmm. um, so the biggest the thing for me to drive home with these books um, is is redefining language or, or how we use language as, as a tool. Um, and, and in particular, that word undocumented, you know, mm. which we've come to, to use as synonymous with this horrible word illegal, you know, and all these horrible notions that we have when really undocumented is the most beautiful word. It means it's never been documented before. It means it's new. And that's every single one of us. None of us has existed before. We are individuals. We are each of us undocumented. And, you know, there's so much beauty in that. So I do think reclaim the stars also means reclaiming like language and identity and the ways that we use language and the way that we let it define us. And, you know, back because as an immigrant, you find that you're defined by everyone around you, whatever identity suits their narrative at a <laughs> given time. You're white when it's convenient. You're American when it's you're you're Latino when it's convenient. You're you're the other when it's convenient. And so you really have no control over uh, how people see you or where they're going to put you in for this particular conversation. Um, and so really the, the beauty of, of these stories we're putting out there and these characters and this representation is we're telling teens in particular, empower yourself, reclaim your language, reclaim how you want to define yourself and kind of let all the other noise be noise, you know? Yeah. Clarabelle, Romina used a really great word there a second ago, invented. And that is so true with language. Like these are all mind dependent concepts, right? The universe doesn't care about Latine or Latinx and, and male, female. And like, I'm sitting at a desk. The universe doesn't know what a desk is, right? It knows atoms and, mole <laughs> at it knows atoms and molecules. Like we invented desk, right? Like, so, yeah. you know, it, talk about that, Clarabelle, for yourself. Just, yeah, like re the, this idea of reclamation, right? Like, you know, taking back this idea that this is all fluid and there are no rules to language and nor, nor should they be unless of course it's being used, you know, of course, in a hurtful fucking or, or, right. or, or hateful sense, but right. certainly not when it comes to reclaiming, like you said, you know, your own self, your own community, yeah. your own community, because without these words, like if you don't 
that's power, isn't it? And if you don't reclaim your own power for yourself or your own community, then you're leaving it to someone else to define. And that's fucking real dangerous, as we know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I will say that the whole infighting is really frustrating. I, I'll, I'll, I've received more harassment from sort of like within our own community than I ever have from outside of it yeah. um, to the point where I no longer use the word Latinx with the X on social media because every single time I do, people start coming into my comments and being just terrible to me. Um, and it's really unfortunate because, you know, people like us are fighting for our community mm-hmm. and then our community sort of turns on us <laughs> yeah. um, and that's really hard. Um, so it's for me as a Dominican American, a second gen, I know all about uh, language and how language evolves and how people sort of like perceive it. A lot of times um, Dominican Spanish is called like incorrect, right? Cause it's Caribbean Spanish and it's a, a mishmash of a lot of different things. And we use Taino words still um, there are African roots in a lot of our words and, uh, it's just a, a big mixture and um, it's, 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 it's something that I didn't experience until I was older, sort of being told like, oh, this is not how you actually speak Spanish. And I'm like, how can that be if everyone from this place right. speaks right. it in this yeah. way, right? Like yeah. um, we didn't just wake up one day and decide to start talking like that. It, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it comes from somewhere, right? Um, for me, the whole idea of reclaiming something was really to find a place for myself in this world. Um, because as someone whose first language is Spanish, whose parents came here a year before they were born. So like my upbringing was like very culturally Dominican um, to the point where I didn't know a lot of like foods or music or like um, like pop culture references until I was much older because I wasn't allowed to watch it. And like, we sort of like stuck to like certain things in my household. Um, but at the same time, talking to any of like my white classmates uh, when I was in high school, I was definitely not American to them. So to sort of like Dominican people, I was a gringa, like a white girl. And to American white people, I was like so super foreign. And I never felt like I had a place really for a long time. Like, where do I belong? Like, where am I actually from? Who am I? And for me, the idea of reclaiming is that my identity, someone who is a combination of all of these things, is someone whose parents are Dominican immigrants and was born in the South Bronx. And um, and that is an identity in and of itself. I don't, I'm, it's not watered down. It's, it's, made up of a lot of different parts, but I think that makes it really beautiful. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, totally agree. Um, this all leads to sort of like talk about sort of, you know, other, other people controlling the narrative, trying to control your narrative. And the thing that's been trending again last couple of days has been book banning. Um, of course, book banning has been around for much, 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 much longer, but it's, it's right now it's an emergency as far as I'm concerned. It's, you know, it's a four alarm fire or whatever, you know, idiom or stupid comparison you want to use. Um, it's, it's fucking insidious and it's evil and it's obvious, isn't it? Like they don't even try and hide the fact of where their hate is being directed at. It's being directed at marginalized authors, right? Um, as marginalized authors, what do you guys think? What, like what's so I mean it's, it's hard because again talk about privilege you know I uh, what I did was I printed a list of a bunch of books that were banned and went to my local libraries and see if, saw if they were there and they I was happy to say that most of them were but again that's a that's a privileged position to be in I understand that I'm in an area that just happens to not have been affected by it 
but it is a hugely important problem, isn't it? Um, Romina, like what's, what do you think? What can we do? (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah, I know. Sorry. It's kind of a hard, I mean, there's so many things you can do. I like, I I repost like a book, book, right. Put a really good article and listed a, geez, a ton of things you can do not only as a citizen, but as, you know, but as a professional and all these and broke it down that way. I mean, it, it just, it seems like such a big mountain and there's so, and the other side is so organized and there's it's, and they're so devoted to their fucking evilness. It's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? I, it is very hard and it's yeah. very sad because, you know, the people who aren't getting these books are the people who need it, you who know, need and them the most. Books, yeah. 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 And, yeah. and the whole reason that these books are important and why they're banned and all of this is because, you know, they're, they're talking about things that a lot of, especially teens and young people and even older people, you know, don't want to talk about or are unpleasant or don't know how to bring up or whatever issue it happens to be. You know, Lovisona was listed as one of the books, you know, on the band list that this Texas guy proposed and everything. And I was shocked when I saw it. I was like, I don't think he or his staff read it. I think they just saw the word undocumented on the cover. And, and, you know, it went went right on the list. Oh, they've never read any of these books. That's the thing. You know, and then and then you hear stuff, you know, and it's like when when this book came out, like I, I remember hearing from a lot of people who were working, volunteering. And I'm talking young people volunteering with a lot of immigration organizations and helping out, you know, at some of these detention centers or seeing what they can do and doing a lot of calling and, and, you know, and fundraising and. I heard from so many of them about like Argentine uh, teens that they knew were currently blocked up who would, this book would mean everything to get it to them. Mm. But guess what? We can't get it to them because it says undocumented on the cover and you can't send it from a person. You have to send it from an actual store, like to send mail. So the store, the bookstore themselves would have to agree to swap out the cover jacket for us to be able to really send that book to the people who needed it. And I, I was like mind blown. Just wild. Being, I mean, how, how, how are we, what, what do we gain by that? Like, I don't understand what, what people are so afraid of um, with, with giving kids who need this kind of representation, giving them these stories and these, these inspirations and, and these, you know, people to look up to fictional characters, you know, but but these stories that they can really see themselves in. I, 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 I wish, I wish I had an answer for this, but the only thing I can say is this right here is why I write for children mm. because I cannot stand adults. You know, they're always getting in the way. And, and to me, children are, are the only people who kind of haven't closed themselves off to this idea that they can change the world. They still believe that. You know, and so so it, it's really sad for me, you know, that, that this is happening. But it's happening by people who think that this is, like inf- infringes on their power, that it's going to take away from their power, if, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> if others become empowered. Yeah. Like, Claire Bell, you just have to take a look at any band list and it's it's pretty obvious what's happening. Right. Like, it's not. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. like these these people are coming from a place of fear and hate. And it's even more incredulous because it's not, they're not curating these libraries or wherever for their own TBR or their own edification. They're making these decisions for other people, right? right? For kids that they don't yes. even know for, they don't even know. And will never know. We'll never meet. They're making these decisions for people. They'll never fucking meet. Like right. that's insane. Right. <laughs> it is. I, I don't, what I don't understand is, well, I mean, I understand why, right. Like this, this whole thing is 
to uphold white supremacy. Yep. Uh, it's about power. It's about yep. kick keeping control and it's about their perceived loss of power. Like they feel like, Oh my God, there's one more Brown person than there used to be in a Cheerios commercial and lose their minds. Right. Like it just cannot be. Um, But to me, it's like, okay, if you're concerned about what your kid is consuming, then read the books first, Mm -hmm. which you won't, because you probably don't know how to read. So (laughs) read the books first and just discuss it with your child's librarian or teacher and you can make that decision for your individual child. But like you said, they want to control what other people's kids are allowed to read in school. And to me, that is so wild. Mm-hmm. It is so, so wild. And it is very scary. And I do think that you're right, that people should be on alert. And somebody, uh, I think it was today or yesterday, tweeted um, that the way t- that to combat this is to get organized, to go to these meetings, to these, you know, um, uh, school board meetings. I used to be uh, like a small town reporter before I became an author. And I covered like the town hall meetings. And it was a great book, by the way. (laughs) small small town reporter turns uh (laughs) sorry sorry i'm just sorry you were making a wonderful point i just fucking ruined it i'm sorry okay no it's totally fine i was just gonna say that at all of these meetings it was always like the senior citizens of the town right Mm. and they were making all of these huge decisions for Mm. the town like should we approve this apartment complex that's going to add 35 minutes to your commute in the morning Mm. And nobody would co- would be there. Nobody would be there. It would be maybe like 15, 20 people. And it was always the oldest, oldest citizens mm. in the town. And I think that if we want to sort of take that power back from these people who have like this malicious intent, mm-hmm. we need to organize. Like the power is and the answer is in community. And if we want to stop this, we have to get organized. We have to make our voices heard, be at these meetings, go there and there are more of us than there are of them and we can show that power but we have to show up and we have to be there and we have to fight back yeah it's it's almost like the town council from footloose is now on the national level right yes, <laughs> it's exactly fucking crazy what it is what's and, next exactly no yeah. dancing <laughs> and i was talking i've been i you know had the great pleasure of talking to tochi onibuchi a lot recently for, oh, love yeah. and uh you know goliath comes out and or is out last weekend my goodness what a book and uh it deals a lot with climate change. And he was telling me he was, you know, for his research, he was talking to some people, uh, uh, um, a scientist who actually, she uh, was one of the uh, authors for the IPCC report, like just like she's dialed in, she's in. Right. And one of their strategies is actually just to wait out the current crop of old shitty white people, like, like just let them die off. Wow. Right. Just so those ideas die off with them. Like that's one, she admitted that is one of their strategies. And it's like, and I just thought of that as you were Clarabelle telling your story, but like the local town council, it's just a bunch of old shitty white people. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, but I mean, it, that would be nice. You know, what was, you know, the meme about the best time to do something would have been yesterday. The next best time, (laughs) the next best time is today, right now. Right. Yeah. But, but can we wait that long? I don't think so. And I I don't think think that people are underestimating how big younger people can be as well. Right. Yes. There are generations of people who are trained by their parents to hate us and they are very happy to pick up that mantle. Especially this. Yeah. Especially this pandemic generation, right? Where these kids are just spending way too much time online. Right. Yeah. I don't trust that, you know, it's just old people who are at fault here. And I think that um, we need to be more proactive. 
Yeah, well, I haven't seen too many old people at like the any of these white supremacist rallies. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. So, right. Yeah. You exactly. Don't, right. Um, all right. Well, I, you know, I, I really wanted to talk to with both about that issue because it's so friggin' important. And I think the more we talk about it, the more attention gets drawn to it, and the more people, like Clarabel, to your point, start to discuss different ways to approach it. Right. And uh, yeah. and there's so many different things people can do on the ground level, for sure. And we yeah, just have to make sure we we uh, people are made aware of what they can do, because I've got so many issues. Certainly the last two years, I've I just sit here and I feel so fucking helpless. And, you know, it's yeah, I can, you know, give this group 10 bucks or this group 20 bucks or whatever. Right. Like and of course that helps. It's always important for sure. But. You know, it's just, it, it just feels like that's just not enough. And, and, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, I get it. I understand the frustration and the feeling of helplessness all too well. And I'm, so I'm always looking for ways to help people understand that there are other options and different ways we can help and fight this. And also this myth that book banning is good for, for business. It's no, like it's, no. yeah, no, no, no. That's, yeah. I saw that online last couple of days too. And, and um no. <laughs> wrong approach people <laughs> it's the wrong approach so we can't we got to make sure that's not uh doesn't spread too much that like because that's that's dangerous talk for sure um all right well let's talk about reclaim the stars because that's why you're here after all <laughs> something a little bit more uh more enjoyable anyways but uh we always have to talk about the important issues right because we we are all citizens of this planet and it's important um romina talk about uh just you sort of comparing comparing the the writing experience and just in general from short stories or anthologies to compared to a novel like how do you approach it personally um so i do have to admit something this was my first short story um because even in college when i first signed up for like my first you know creative writing course i remember we were supposed to turn in two short stories throughout the semester you know and we was workshopped and all that stuff and when it came time to do my second story, I continued the first one. I remember asking my professor, like, are we allowed to do that? She's like, well, I mean, there's no, I didn't say you couldn't, you know. And then I took her advanced course the next semester. And for the two entries, I continued that first story. <laughs> and by the end of the year, I had a novel <laughs> that was terrible. I mean, I, I say novel very loosely, right? But uh, we're reclaiming labels here. So it was a novel <laughs> in my eyes. Uh, and, um, and so I... And ever since then, it's fun. I've never written a short story. I've never been able to write short. I just can't get fall in love and keep going, keep going. So this was my first one, but I did cheat because it was set in the world of my novels. So um, I don't know what it is about me, but like, I cannot, like, I can't, it's such a sunk cost to create a world and a character that for me to feel like all I'm going to get out of them is just very little, you know, I don't know what it is for me, but it breaks my heart. Like I need more time with them. Um, but this was a cool way to do it because what happened was after I, I'd written the second book in my series, I realized there was one particular character that there was a story of hers I wanted to share, but it didn't fit into the books because she's not even, she's not the protagonist, you know, mm-hmm. so I had no real way to squeeze this in and it felt like it was its own message. And so the fact that I had this, I was able to have this platform and, you know, it's the same editor even as mm. my books. Um, oh, cool. Editing. I didn't know that. Okay, so yeah. I was, I had the benefit of her looking out for me as well, you know, because she's very familiar with, with the world. So it was a very cool experience. It was very different from, from anything I've done. Uh, and I'm very proud of it. 
Clarabelle, usually with short stories and stuff like that, you know, you don't really have a lot of time for fluff, right? Like, you know, these like chapters where people just walk for an entire chapter. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have that luxury, right? It tends to be, it te- it tends to be more focused, more character focused anyways, more character driven. So yeah, and you've, this isn't your first one. You've got another one coming out later this year, actually. What's that anthology called again? I can't remember now. Um, Our Shadows Have Claws. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's and I actually it. already had my first anthology story published last year with right. um, This Is Our Rainbow, right. um, which is the LGBTQIA plus uh, middle grade anthology. It was the first of its kind. of story for every letter um, in the um, in, in under the rainbow, basically. So yep. um, uh, that was really exciting and fun. Um, but yeah, you you don't really have any uh, room for like the sagging middle of a book, which is great. <laughs> and you also have to like get to the point. I find short stories to be harder to write personally okay. than a whole book, mm-hmm. and that might sound wild because it's like you know, 15, 20 pages versus like 300, 400 pages. But you do get that like exploratory time when you're writing a novel and you get to spend time with your characters. Like Romina said, it can be really hard to let go of them mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and to just like write a little like blip about their lives and then just leave. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, 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 I think it's, it's definitely harder for me. I think short story writing is like, a craft onto itself um but I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot with everyone that I do I sort of like uh sort of tweak my uh craft a little bit more yeah that's that's great I mean should be the goal hopefully right you want to get a little bit better each time or learn or like you said learn something new about yourself right mm-hmm. um so Romina Leenda did I say that right Leenda yeah Oh, Leshinda. Leshinda, sorry. sorry. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So, okay, well, you know. So, no, I didn't say it right. I said it totally no, no, wrong. No, no, no. I, 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 I have yeah. to admit that because Gladivel mentioned, like, you know, accents of different, like, dialects and, like, Argentine Spanish is yeah. a little annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have, like, like I, I would song. say Leshinda, so that's Legenda. different than okay. how yes. Romina says but, it. And, okay. and, so, and someone else would probably say Leyenda, you know, yeah. um, and I would say Leshinda, like, S-H sound, you know, which... Um, is definitely off on on one end of the of of the spectrum um but yes it's it's very much the argentine accent it's called leyenda which means legend yep um and as you know in spanish everything has a gender so in particular this means a, a girl legend right um and so this is like to your point this was sort of like this is part of the wolves of no world universe um yes and so just I, it, it, shorts are, you know, hard to summarize, but yeah, I guess maybe just give me a little, uh, ele- elevator pitch. Yeah. So, I mean, real in real brief, it's just about a girl who's about to graduate. Um, and all you really, and the great thing is you don't need to know anything about that world. Really. You just need to know that in this universe, boys are born lobisones or werewolves mm-hmm. and girl girls are born brujas or witches. And so it's about a witch, a water, witch, Saibet who realizes that the patriarchal system of their universe uh, favors the wolves over the witches and wolves make more money, you know, for the same work. And, and basically the universe runs off the witch's magic. Uh, And so she tries to convince the girls in her graduating class, all the witches took to kind of rise up and try to demand better for their generation. Um, And that's kind of that that's her goal, like, she's an activist. It's it's yeah it's a it's a 
it's a patriarchal system. Um, yes. And, and as much as like, yeah, as much as they tell, you know, these different witches and I love, you know, you've got uh, the Jardineras and the Encendedoras and all these different types of yeah. witches, um, you know, and they're, they're constantly being, you know, fed this idea of, of how important they are, but then ultimately they just, their power is taken away from them. And it's, it's, it's gross. Um you do play a little bit with this sort of like the seventh son of a seventh son, seventh daughter of a seventh daughter idea a little bit, right? You sort of, yes. uh, it's not, does it, it's yes. not. Yeah. So you sort of, you, you make it reveal that's more of a process yes. rather than a genealogy, right? Yes. I mean, so the, in this universe, you know, it's, it's just a fantastical world, you know, so it's just the boys are born this way, girls are born this way, but it's inspired by, um, this mythology and the superstition in our world mm. about the seventh and and in particular the Argentine version because there's a real world law in Argentina uh, la ley de padrinazgo presidencial that's still in effect today that states that the president of Argentina becomes godparent to the seventh consecutive girl or seventh consecutive boy born into a family um, and the state even covers their educational expenses until they turn 21. So it's not just some nothing. It's a big deal. Uh, and I, I found this so fascinating growing up. And of course, you look into this and you will find the superstition about the seventh son of a seventh son and all these different. There's a bunch of versions of it, you know, but this is the version in Argentina that really struck fear in people's hearts enough that the government actually has a law. Um, and, uh, and I thought that was a really fascinating myth to play with. Um, really, I really, 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 really loved, I really love when, when an author breaks down a process for me and explains something to me because most of the time I'm an idiot, <laughs> I'm an idiot or just, you know, don't know anything about it. And I'm just such a fan of that. I love that when it's explained to me. So I love when you sort of, you get into the, like how the sausage is made, sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a little bit. And uh, I, I'm always so appreciative of that. I just personally enjoy that. I enjoy reading that as uh, you know, it's, I they really, really, really enjoy that. Um, awesome. Yeah. Claire Bell. Yes. Killing El Chivo. What's that yeah. about? What's that about? Uh, so it's sort of a reimagining of Trujillo, who is a dictator in the Dominican Republic, his assassination. Yep. Um, so my parents were young when he was killed, but they lived through his sort of like, um, oh, I don't know how to describe his tenure, I guess. <laughs> and, un, un, unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> unpleasant time there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I my, my mom has sort of like PTSD from... Um, from like uh, bombs being dropped um, in the countryside where she was grew up. Um, she can't uh, thunderstorms for her are like the worst thing ever. She has yeah. to make like a little bunker. Yeah. Um, my, I, there's a story of like my, my grandmother had uh, 13 kids, uh, you know, the, that's how families were back, back in the day. And um, you know, my grandfather was the only one working and there's a story that, you know, everybody had to serve in Trujillo's army. And my grandfather was avoiding it because he needed to work because my grandmother had just had another set of twins. And if he didn't work, they, they wouldn't have anything to eat because she wasn't able to breastfeed them. Mm. Um, and he was getting a haircut and someone was like, they're, they're coming for you, um, Roberto. My grandfather's name was Roberto. And he ran half his haircut and climbed a tree. He's really good at climbing trees. And he hid um, 
from like these people that were looking for him. And that was sort of like my mom's reality growing up, which is so wild to me now as someone who grew up in like New York city, which I had my own set of like wild circumstances growing up in the Bronx, in the South Bronx in the eighties and nineties. But um, it was still very different. And um, I wanted to sort of explore um, sort of the, the, the paranoia and like the fear and like the pain that comes from um living in a time like that and giving power back to these three sisters who just so happen to have powers of their own that are um really cool um and El Chivo was a nickname that they had for Trujillo um which is why I made him like a goat-like monster um so it's basically a reimagining of his killing but told through the eyes of these three witch sisters um, we'll circle back to the fear part because I wrote that down because that is a very mm. important part of the story and yeah. and 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 uh, control without Absolutely. you know this this idea to instill fear into a community. Uh, we'll talk about it, but <laughs> um, we you know we talked about how important how important character work is these short stories, right, Claire Bell? And and you have uh, so these three sisters, you know, starting with uh, Zaria La Bomba, um, yeah, <laughs> um, and. So, you know, we talked about how important establishing characters are in short stories. I got so attached to these three sisters. Oh, it, yeah. It's so quickly, <laughs> it's so quickly, you know, again, these are short stories, right? You don't have a lot of time to do this, but you're such a fucking great writer. Thank you. <laughs> I got so attached to them and they're so interesting to me, whether it's their individual, uh, you know, abilities as, as Bujas or, the, you know, the fact that they're rebels as well. Um Talk about sort of writing this story and you're like, okay, because it's, cause it's, it's a casty short story, right? Like you've got, yeah. you know, you're introduced just to have three main characters, kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, Zuri is the main character, but you, you really have to like make us love all three of these sisters. Talk about the challenge of having to do that with only so many words. Yeah. Um. So I pull a lot from like my own life as I'm writing, like as you know, you can tell before I gave like a short truncated like family history before. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I love it. Yeah. I, I um, want to hug your mom, by the way. I want to. Oh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, interesting fact. My mom's name is Anna Zaria and Zaria's name is actually taken from my mom's name. So that's why Beautiful. I named her that. Um, so I'm one of three sisters. Um, okay. So it was sort of uh, a little bit easy in terms of like dynamic Uh to set them up like I feel like when I love characters it's because they have like something very specific about them that I can sort of like latch onto, right Mm -hmm. and for me I saw like um Zaria as sort of like the strong like fighter I saw her older sister as sort of like the protector and then I saw the youngest sister as sort of like the innocent but like freakishly strong one which is like (laughs) so cool and funny to me and like I wanted to add that like little element of humor like you can do literally anything to this kid and she won't die um and so I I feel like giving your characters like a very sort of like tropey uh you know basic uh, character um, trait uh, is a really good way to like build off of them to, to start because you have that one like little pillar of foundation that people can relate to because like you 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 don't always have time to like they all want the same things right mm-hmm. so it can't really be like that what they want defines them because they all three of them want to kill El Chivo they want to avenge their parents death right um but giving them each their sort of like own personality and um, trait that they bring to their team 
as this team of like rebels and assassins would be assassins um, was I think what sort of like helped me to make them interesting and like fully formed in a short amount of time. Yeah. Romina, both these stories actually, you know, have a lot of things I can pull from that mirror real life. You know, yours is uh, for sure. Again, the patriarchy and, and, you know, there's a couple of lines in your short story in the patriarchy, our our wombs are worth more than our magic. And, and there's another line later on that says, even though they suffer from severe postpartum depression, dot, 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 like we do this now still to this day, like the entire weight of reproduction or even preventing it with the way they design birth control is, is on the shoulders of women, right? Always has been still is to this day probably always will be. I don't know. I hope it's, that's not the case, but so talk about that a little bit. Cause it, like, it's, this isn't like a, this isn't furtive in your story, right? <laughs> like you call it, yeah. like you, you call it by name. Like you just, you just yeah. say it. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, it's very frustrating, obviously. Yeah. It's like we were saying fantastical world, but patriarchy isn't really all that fantastical really. Right? Because, um, because yeah, because these brujas, like they built them up to a certain point and then they just, then they're just broodmares, aren't they? Yes. Um, and you know, there's part of the, the commentary is also on the machismo culture, yeah. you know, that we experience a lot um, where it's like, you know, you'll hear just like this idolization of the mother or the mom and like the, you know, and the food and like the way the mom protects you and like being such like a strong figure. And yet, and yet, you know, it's like we have to be seen in a particular role or a particular way, you know, um, it's it's and we still have to, like you said, we're in charge of the reproduction stuff. We're in charge of certain. And so it's it's sort of like it's all falls apart upon close examination because the power isn't there. And that's another line in, in, in the story, you know, where where her Cybet's teacher tells her, like, we have to be careful because of how much power we have. And Cybet kind of looks at her. If we're so powerful, why is it we don't have any power? And that's my question. It's like, as women, we're told of this power we have. We're told like we are gods. We create life. We give birth to life. You know, right now I'm suffering from lunaritis, which is menstrual pain in my series. Um, And I'm (laughs) physically, physically right now suffering from it. And like, even before getting on this interview, I was like in so much pain. I'm like, all right, you're going to oh, do this. You know, Why didn't and you tell me that we like, could have, we could have done this another time. Oh my God. No, because but, because yeah. we're used to it. That's what she's right. Saying. Yeah, no, I know. I know. You know? I know. But like, if we do that, if, then it's uh, like, you know. oh, women need days off for their period. So they can't be president. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, it's like, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. what we're saying at all. We're saying yeah. we're freaking powerful. We will take this on. We will take on all that labor, you know, that invisible labor. And, and, and we will still get it done and, mm-hmm. and bring in new humans to this world and nurture them and take care of them. And now it's like we're already, what, we're like outnumbering men in college these days. We're outnumbering everything. So we're literally doing it all. Um, and, and I you know, to your point about will it always be this way, I, I, I have that feeling as well. But I also have this other feeling of we can't. Like we are reaching right. that limit of right. we just can't anymore, you know, and... I don't know what the, what that's going to look like, um, but I do feel like that is a that that is one of the biggest things, and and I do hope that science begins to look into alternatives for like men, like real viable alternatives that men will like the pill for men and different things like that. 
because yes, I, um, it is, it is wild, right? Because a woman is so limited in in how many times, like in, in pregnancy, right? It's like a specific time of the month that she can get pregnant and that's it. And it's like, I, and once she is pregnant, she can't really get pregnant again for the rest of that year, more, more or less, you know, so it's like, really, it should be the, me- it's the, a male problem, you know, like we yeah. need men to yeah. like, you know, cause like our, our, it's, we're not the ones like um, going overboard. And, and in a lot of these Latin American countries, the problem is women just don't have the say in their household. They can't, um, there's an inequality an imbalance um, right. and femicidio, you know, femicide is like a huge issue. Um, and in Argentina in particular, and, you know, and as well as abortion, abortion rights, um, there are so many young girls in Argentina who are raped and then are forced to go through with giving birth, you know, um, by the system and, uh, and all of these issues. And anyways, yes, I, I agree. It's, it, this is kind of, this is like a primal screen, you know, these mm-hmm. kind of stories, like where we're just like, ah, get us out of this patriarchy, you know, it's, where do you think it comes from? We carry this rage in us, you know, from our mothers and our grandmothers and all these women. And I, and we don't want our daughters to have to carry it as well. And our granddaughters and, and these books, again, that's why they're so important. And that's why the ones that get banned are the ones that are like throwing, you know, the system and up people because the current, you know, power dynamic wants to stay as it is. Um, and we can't have that. Um, it's, it's, uh, you say that, you know, we don't want our daughters and our granddaughters and the future generations to have to, to deal with this or worry about it. And yet in the book, Zaybet's a legacy and her mother <laughs> and her mother kind of has a different opinion on, on, on that, doesn't she? Yes. She's, I'm so- she's, she's sort of stuck, but she's part of this. <laughs> she's stuck in this, this thing where, yeah, this seventh daughter thing, right? Like this, this whole idea that they have to be, um, uh, one know, d- yes and the- what you're saying it's so funny that you yeah. say that because I thought of the same line as well that's the problem right yeah like that's the problem with the patriarchy so in the book the whole issue is that one girl is a legacy and the other six legacies that get chosen every year are always boys or right. wolves right and by, so design. Zybet- by design yeah. exactly yeah. and yeah. so Saibet's mother was the legacy chosen in her class her grandmother was in yeah. her class so they're proud and they're like you need to continue this And what she's saying to them is, you don't understand, like, you're not doing anything. You're not disrupting any system because there's still only one girl legacy. So sometimes you have to give up your privilege to shake things up. Like, why can't there be six girls one year or all seven? Mm -hmm. And that is the thing we need to ask ourselves, too, because too many times we see it's like, oh, one woman gets on the executive board. The rest are all men. And so all the women have to fight for that one seat. And that is the great trick that the patriarchy pulls over us, right? Because yeah. there's there's six other seats there. Yeah. Why don't we try to go for one of those? Why does it always have to be, you know, that women are in the minority, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so that is a really big part of it. And until we can do, like what, what Ruth used to say, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? Nine, you know, until it's okay for the Supreme Court to be all women, and that's not an issue, the same way it was all men for so long, um, we will just not have achieved this, you know? Right. So, yeah. Um, Claire Belder, there's a great line in your story. It says, they gossip about things they have made up and ignore the real dangers right in front of their faces. Um, that hap- We do that, don't we? Just in real life. Yeah. 
all the time, yeah. like 20, like fucking 24 hours a day, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, and you know, this is talk about a little bit about, cause in your story, like, yeah. So I talked about earlier about this, this idea of fear, this fear of authority. And, you know, of course there, that mirror society so much um, and rightfully so because certain parts of the population should be afraid of authority because they've, because they've done nothing but, you know, systematically abuse these communities for so long, barbarically most of the time in your story, uh, El Chivo, rules by fear and and with simple little things symbols like you know he makes them put a picture of him in every it's it's law right you have to have a picture of him in every house and talk about this idea of sort of like not just for sure directly you can directly you know instill fear into a, a person or persons but the way they can do it using psychology like indirectly yeah i mean absolutely i think that um, I mean, that's oppression 101, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've 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 been living our own sort of version of like a watered down version of that for a little while ourselves. Um, in terms of like people who are not necessarily in the majority in terms of like the um, thinking about a certain topic but just being the loudest and how intimidating that can feel Um, we were talking about the book banning before I mean part of the reason why it's hard why these school board members are um, sort of caving and not knowing what to do is because they're being intimidated they're being called they're being harassed they're being doxxed all of these things that happen Um, and a lot of times I think that the system in place keeps us fighting against one another when really what we need to be fighting is the system itself. Um, And the line that you described from my book in terms of, you know, people gossiping, I think that's exactly what I was trying to describe. You know, this whole town um, is worried about the supernatural and like witches and all these things that they really shouldn't be afraid of. Their, Their family members are being snatched from their bed in the middle of the night. But I think that as humans, sometimes we resort to sort of being afraid of the, the, th- the something else because the thing that really scares us is so far out of our control um, and is so scary and um, we don't know how to tackle it. And it's almost like a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many subtle forms and uh, not so subtle forms of oppression Um you know, silencing people's voices, um, silencing people's choice to call themselves what they want, um, harassing people for, you know, daring to like be queer out loud or read a certain book, all of these things we're still experiencing today. Unfortunately, the story um, that I wrote it was reflecting a time that happened, something that happened in the, in the early 60s, 61, I believe, but we're still going through so many of this, the social issues that my characters were dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, they're even more sort of like, um, I feel like in the past couple of years, they've ramped up. And I think that that is an answer to people like authors like me and Romina and everyone who's in Reclaim the Stars getting a platform. Mm-hmm. This is their attempt to deplatform us and silence us. Um, so I didn't mean for the story to be as timely as it was, but I guess <laughs> it turned out being that way. Huh? Well, I mean, uh, you can, uh, I mean, I've talked to so many other authors, and, and if your writing setup is facing a window, 
I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. tough, tough not to write what you see in front of you. Right. Yep. Um, mm. Claire Bell, please. And we don't want to no details. And Romina will be asking the same question, obviously, but yes. the, the ending, um, huh. it's, uh, I, the both endings are different. I like both very much, uh, for different reasons. And, but it dawns on me that neither one life goes on. Right. Talk about sort of Clarabel sort of ending this story the way it did. If you can, without you know, without spoilers. If, if oh, it, that's hard. Okay, I know, um, I know. Uh... <laughs> I, maybe more from just like you know, sort of what the intention was as far as yeah, because yeah, this is hard to talk about. But uh, yeah, it's a little hard. I mean, yeah. I will say that like the the I started writing Killing a Chivo around 2016 actually it started as such just such a uh, just just a line mm. just this first line um and it came from a place of sort of like anger at like the current like at the at the time political situation in the united states mm. um and so and i write from most of my stories have some sort of like pain or grief attached to them um and i felt that for this particular story the ending needed to be more on the bittersweet side it just felt right to me um and sometimes like as a writer you can't always explain like the mechanics behind why uh but it's just what came to the page and I felt like it worked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm being so vague, but it's I hard. Can't. No, I know it is hard. And it's, 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 it's because like, you know, I think the way I want to ask the question is just, would just maybe help people uh, figure it out on their, on their own. If, so we won't even worry about it, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very much an ending. Like, like a lot of good endings closes one door, but maybe opens another. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, and I guess we'll just leave that one at that. <laughs> Maybe for now. Um, Romina, yeah. So the ending is is uh, is, is again the, the the nice thing about your ending for fans, you know, of the uh, Wolves No Universe, No World Universe, Wolves No World Universe. Um, <laughs> kind of like yeah, really, like really kind of fans of of those of the two, but Lobazina and Casadora are really gonna I think dig the ending here. Yeah. And I mean, like there was, you know, I, you kind of knew how it had to end if yeah. you've um, read the books, you know what I mean? That's right. So yeah, that was yeah. kind of nice. Yeah. Is, was that like just the plan all along? Were you just like, That's, yeah. this is, this is like, here's, here's, here's something, here's a blank spot, you know, here's a, a that I need to maybe not now needs not the right word, but I, I would like to, to fill it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get inspired a lot by my readers and Zybet is a reader I met in Mexico. And um, I don't know why I just felt like her story was not finished yet, you know, mm. and I had to, I just had to finish it. Like she kind of became more than just a character because I'd taken her name and inspiration from a real reader. Um, and, and I don't know. You know, it's one of those weird things that gets in your head. As yeah. Scotty would say, it's like, these, we love these characters. I don't know. It's very bizarre. Yeah. No, that's it. Listen, when, when you guys write as great as characters as both of you do, it's going to be, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to walk away sometimes. And, and sometimes maybe if you're, you know, if you're, if it's a trilogy or something, you're, you're, you're done, you're ready to move on. But um, 
you know, sometimes when you do standalones or anything like that, yeah, I mean, you've listened, you've, you've created very compelling characters and worlds and uh, it's only natural you'd fall in love with it just as much as the readers do, if not more so, because you've, you've spent more time with them, right? So, um, so Reclaim the Stars comes out February 15th. What, is there anything planned for launch week as a group or anything? I don't think I've seen anything yet. Yeah, we do have some events um, happening. Give me one yeah, second. Yeah, I know. I'm, like, I'm also like, let me pull this up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so there is a launch event um, via Crowdcast with Books of Wonder. Okay. Um, that's happening on the 15th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And it's going to be a chaos trivia night hosted by Danielle Clayton. <laughs> oh, no, Queen, Queen Clayton. Good, yeah. good choice. Yes. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. And then there's yes. another event on the 16th um, at Cher- with Cheris Books. And I think Mark Oshiro and Linda Nieves are going to be part of that. And I think uh, some other writers, but I don't know that we've figured it out quite yet. Um, But I think most of us are going to be at the first one at least. So everyone should come check it out. Absolutely. Well, I mean, just... uh... I mean, it, to get 17, well, 18, including Danielle, <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tall, I mean, I'm trying to get three or four together and that's difficult. So yeah, <laughs> 18 people at the same time is, is challenging. But if you can get most of them together, that's obviously worth checking out. Um, obviously, all both websites, social media accounts, everything will be updated to reflect any, any events, if they are changing or anything like this, or any new ones that get added up until then. So everyone can please and- go, Sorry. There is also a pre-order campaign. There is. Um, yes. What, so I saw that. that's what, also important. Yeah. Uh, um, to get uh, an exclusive sticker sheet. Right, 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 so, right. I think if, if anyone goes to any one of the 17 authors, and you know, I know Zoraida's been certainly pumping this out. So check their social media feeds or the websites and you'll be able to find out whatever you need to find out. Yes. Um, Romina and Clarabelle, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I think you you can tell I'm life I'm a life is too short for bullshit person. So when I tell you I like something, I mean I, when I tell you I like something, I mean it. And I really like both these stories. I had such a good time um, reading both of them. And uh, it's like you know I I don't read other people's reviews and thoughts too much, but one of the fun things that you get to do with anthologies is you know everyone. It's fun to it is fun to read everyone's like which ones their favorites. Right. So it'll be uh, that's always a good time. So that's I encourage people to get this anthology, read it, have some fun with your friends, you know, like, oh, I really lean into this one a bit more or I love this one a bit more. That's always a great way to uh, to to have a conversation about a book. And also, um, I can't remember, I think it might have been Clarabelle that said it earlier. This is a great way to find out about new authors you didn't hear of before. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, of course. And, and of course, all this is all, you know, uh, leading up to how important just having this book is for the for the uh, Latin communities in general and just making sure these voices are are reclaimed and heard and hopefully paid forward in some way by a young Romina or a young Clarabelle out there in the world <laughs> <laughs> who's, who, who's reading Reclaim the Stars and just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um it, it's always a good time to end an episode on a fuck yeah so let's do that thank you both so much and and good luck with the launch of this book and the rest of the year there you have it another episode of everything is canon all wrapped up huge thanks to both clarabelle and romina for stopping by to have that important conversation with me reclaim the stars is out now so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to clarabelleortega.com and romina for more information 
As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen, and head on over to Cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now. Bye for now.